tragedy on a downtown street corner. I really, really feel for the family. It's, it's a real, real shock. Neighbors reach out to a family struck down in a cruel twist of fate. Documenting devastation. Came across and went up at that slope. New video from the fire zone in Lytton. Eerie scenes of a town reduced to ash. And leery about the Lambda variant. It's starting to outcompete the other variants. With fewer than a dozen cases in Canada, why it's still one to watch. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. An 11 month old girl is dead. And her father was in hospital tonight after a devastating crash in downtown Vancouver Tuesday evening. The driver of one of the two vehicles involved was arrested. Ahmad Agahi joins us now live from the scene. And Ahmad, this tragedy was witnessed, we know now, by the little girl's mother. And support is pouring in for her and her partner. Yeah, we are hearing that this family is from the West End, and as we speak, neighbors are getting together, sharing the sad news, and figuring out what they could do to help this uh, family going forward. I want to show you this pop-up memorial that has started behind us at the scene of the crash earlier today. We saw uh, a complete stranger, heartbroken, show up with the first flower. He said it struck a chord with him because he had a child the same age, and ever since then, this memorial has been growing. Broken glass and twisted metal scattered across a downtown intersection. This is the aftermath of what we now know is the utmost tragedy. Police say these two cars collided at Smythe and Hornby about 6 o'clock Tuesday night before one vehicle mounted the curb and struck a father and his baby. The 11-month-old girl died instantly, her father taken to hospital. My mom comes up to me looking traumatized. She had some blood on her. A neighbor of the family confirming now what can only be described as every mother's worst nightmare. She was walking home from work and that they had come down to meet her, that she saw her, her little girl, Ocean, and her partner across the road, and she waved. And I don't know what corner it was. And then the accident happened and she witnessed her child and her partner getting hit. I can't even begin to imagine um, all the weight that has been put on her shoulders right now. On Wednesday, this was the beginning of a memorial. Complete strangers are heartbroken. All our love and thoughts will be with you. My baby's exactly the same age, so uh, yeah, it really, really strikes a chord, you know? There will be a lengthy investigation ahead, according to the Vancouver police, who moments after the crash arrested a 21-year-old man they say was the driver of the black Ford Escape. Preliminary evidence does uh, allow us to uh, have him in custody while we continue to investigate. Police are not sharing many details leading up to the accident, but we'll say drugs and alcohol are not believed to be factors. Meanwhile, neighbors say the family is well known in their tight-knit community in the West End. And they want this now grieving couple to know they will be supported in the difficult times ahead. I just want to show her that we'll be there. Unity will be there for her, right? Yeah. Seems very unfair. Really difficult, obviously, Imad. What more have you learned about the driver arrested? 
Yeah, Chris, through sources, we have learned that the man that was arrested on scene here is in the middle of a forfeiture battle with the province over tens of thousands of dollars, gold bars and drugs. Now, we don't know if his alleged record had anything to do with his arrest here last night. Police are telling me they're working on charges to present to Crown. We've also seen investigators here uh, going store to store looking for video surveillance of where the crash may have happened. Uh, we're also told that uh, police are asking for any drivers in the area who had dash cam to, far, uh, to come forward as well. Chris. All right, Ahmad, let's hope they solve it soon. Thanks very much. Now to the wildfire situation in BC. And as residents of Lytton prepare to take a bus tour on Friday through what's left of their community, we are hearing tonight from a man who watched the fire tear through the town. Aaron MacArthur is live near Lytton tonight. Aaron, we're also getting a new ground level look at the devastation from just outside the exclusion zone. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. Even from you know, about a kilometer away across the Fraser River, the scope of the destruction is really startling. And it makes you realize just how helpless people here were in the face of this firestorm. The damage near total. Houses burned to the foundations. There are buildings standing, but only hollow shells. In front, the remains of parked cars. The heart of Lytton is gone. From the west side of the Fraser River, Casey Paul watched the inferno destroy the community. Right down below that end, down to the river, that's where the flames started. And it swept over this way. The village of Lytton detailed the destruction in a four-page news release. Some houses survived the fire, but there is no power, water, or sewer connections. The sewage treatment plant wasn't destroyed, but it's non-functional. The water infrastructure is also damaged, but at this point, no one can tell how badly. A property-by-property -property assessment will be needed. Oh my God, no. According to the village, the fire spread so quickly that by the time the mayor was told the volunteer fire department was battling flames on the edge of town, the town was on fire. Everyone had to get out. For people who fled the flames, there are still images, memories they will never forget. Closer to the bank, all those houses were in one, one form or another starting to burn and then you could hear propane. Like a geyser. I just hoping everybody got out because it is so quick. Many in the village believe a freight train started this fire. On Wednesday, CP trains were rolling past the charred remains of the village and CN crews working furiously to repair the damage to the train trestle across the Thompson River. Like last Wednesday morning, uh, it was around 11 or 12 o'clock, I said to my wife uh, that, you know, why are we still running trains in, in weather like this? And, you know, it should be stopped, you know. The village and the Lytton First Nation taking care of people who haven't left. Casey Paul getting food delivered every two days. People who have lost everything, helping out neighbors who need it. Do you think they'll rebuild it? Oh yeah, for sure. I'll always be here. We're here. We've been here a long time, and we'll continue. The displaced will get a chance to see this destruction from inside the exclusion zone Friday. Bus tours are being organized in order for people to get a sense of what they have lost. All right, Aaron, a new evacuation order has just been issued for the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. You have details on that and, uh, as you mentioned, that tour being arranged for Lytton evacuees later this week. 
Yeah, the, the TNRD just posted an evacuation order for 96 properties in Napier Lake, which is about halfway between Merritt and Kamloops along Highway 5A. Structures and personal safety are at risk, so 96 properties there. Uh, wildfire crews are responding as quickly as possible, but it is a fire that will be clearly visible and people need to take note of that. As for the bus tour uh, on Friday here in Lytton, the, the regional district will be contacting people individually to arrange pickup. And it is critical that everybody who has not registered with the Emergency Operations Centre do so. That is how people will get access to the village on Friday. All right, thanks for that. Aaron MacArthur reporting near Lytton for us tonight. The overall wildfire situation has settled down ever so slightly, but we are far from in the clear. The Caribou, or in the Caribou, the south of Canham Lake fire, which interestingly is northeast of 100 Mile House, now covers 11 square kilometers. It's growing and thankfully moving away from the community, but these before and after pictures show how it's affected air quality in the area over just the past couple of days. The fire was started by lightning. The B.C. Wildfire Service has set up a new command center in 100 Mile to oversee the battle against six fires of note in the Caribou. Just like many B.C. communities, the town of 100 Mile is also under a layer of smoke. At this point, there are 201 active fires burning in B.C., down slightly from Tuesday. 22 of them started in the last two days, and there are 14 wildfires of note burning now. About 46% of the total wildfires so far this season have been attributed to human activity. However, that percentage is shifting closer to being uh, mostly lightning caused um, as we continue to see uh, instability and, and lightning activity. Overall, since April 1st, the Wildfire Service says it's responded to about 750 wildfires with about 97,000 hectares burned so far. The good news is temperatures have dropped the bad news is there are more thunderstorms and lightning in the interior right now, and the fire service is expecting more new fires. And so let's get to that breaking news in weather right now. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us with more on the risk in Kamloops tonight. Yvonne. Yeah, we've got a severe thunderstorm warning that has been issued for the South Thompson. Take a look at this video where we're seeing very gusty winds. And near these thunderstorms, we could see gusts of up to 70 kilometers per hour. That'll be a huge concern for the firefight situation across the province. We could see the potential for nickel or pea-sized hail. And we are looking at that smoke across the region and dry lightning with the dry and hot conditions that we've had. That'll be the big concern. So as we take a look at the current satellite, as we zoom on in, we're seeing that line of thunderstorms. It's just south of Ashcroft at this hour. Lightning across the region, heavy downpours potentially, and that's going to continue to move itself towards Highway 1. We're still seeing active weather and a severe thunderstorm watch. That extends in towards the southeastern corners, Elk Valley, as well as the East Kootenai included within that. We've got some active weather in store once again for tomorrow. The timeline coming up very shortly. Chris? Lots to keep an eye on. Thank you, Yvonne. Now, as the wildfire season ramps up in our province, affected residents are wondering whether insurance will cover them for things like food and accommodations if they're forced out of their homes. Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa is here tonight with some answers. And Thanks, Sophie. If you've been impacted by a wildfire, the Insurance Bureau of Canada says virtually all standard home insurance policy 
will cover you for wildfire damage. The same holds true for smoke damage to your property. When making a claim, the Insurance Bureau of Canada is recommending the following steps. When it's safe to return home, assess and document the damage to your belongings and take photos. Make a list of all the damaged and destroyed items and keep them unless they pose a safety risk. Call your insurance provider to find out what support is available to you. If possible, put together proofs of purchases, photos, receipts, and warranties. Keep all receipts related to the cleanup. If you have been ordered out of your home, keep the receipts for your living expenses and ask your insurance provider what living expenses you are entitled to in terms of getting a reimbursement and for what period of time. So the important thing to know if you've been impacted uh, by these wildfires uh, and you have home insurance is that all standard home insurance policies cover you uh, for wildfire damage. And importantly, and giving some of the really devastating images coming out of, of places like Lytton, where folks have been forced to evacuate with very, very little notice, often leaving just with the shirts on their backs, uh, your home, your standard home insurance policy will also cover you for additional living expenses, things like food, shelter, clothing, if you're forced outside of your home due to a mandatory evacuation order. Uh, there, there can be uh, time limits included with that or limits of those policies. It's going to vary by individual. Uh, and the best thing they can do is have those conversations with their insurance companies. And the Insurance Bureau of Canada also recommends if you haven't been evacuated and if you live in a wildfire zone, it's a good idea to begin taking pictures or even videos of your home and your belongings in case you are evacuated. That will help provide proof to the insurance company of your contents when you start rebuilding your life. Meantime, if you have any questions about insurance, you can contact the Insurance Bureau of Canada's tip line at one 844 to ask IBC or you can go on their website at www.ibc.ca. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Turning now to COVID-19 and the latest numbers for our province. It's the second day in a row case numbers have increased. We have 59 new cases in BC, 624 active cases. 86 people are in hospital, 20 of those patients in the ICU. No new deaths to report, thankfully. On the vaccination front, 78.2% of people 12 and older have received their first dose and 38.2% have received their second dose. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, as the COVID situation in our province improves, we are seeing an impact in our healthcare system, mm -hmm. but maybe not in the way some people might assume. Yeah, we seem to be seeing a huge impact on our healthcare system, Chris. The numbers now are quite stark and startling in terms of how many people are reporting emergency situations. And again, compare what was going on before the pandemic with what, what's going on this month. In terms of ambulance calls pre-pandemic, we average just a little more than 1,500 a day. Take a look at what's happened this month alone. Uh, this month, more, almost 2,000 cases. That's a 24% increase. That's a huge uh, increase uh, from uh, pre-pandemic levels. Uh, uh, emergency healthcare, same situation, pre-pandemic, almost 6,600. Now this month, uh, average 7,405. That's a 13% increase. Health officials tell me this is going to be uh, continue and will be sustained in the foreseeable future. In fact, they expect the next three months to be the busiest three months in the history of the BC healthcare system. Uh, our frontline workers have been run off their feet in the pandemic, and it's just going to get worse for them, as clearly a number of people now are, are engaged in activities and doing things they weren't doing for 16 months, and it's leading to a huge backlog of cases hitting our emergency rooms and our ambulance calls. It's going to go on all summer. 
is tough because we know that system's already at a critical stress point. Mm -hmm. But thanks very much for that, Keith. The final step in sentencing for Gabriel Klein. He is serving a life sentence for stabbing Letitia Reimer to death in her high school. But today he learned when he'll be allowed to apply for parole. The reaction from the Reimer family. England rise to the occasion in a thrilling semi-final at the Euro, setting the stage for an epic final. That's coming up later in sports. And Donald Trump takes on social media. The lawsuit, some say, is nothing more than a publicity stunt. Later. Right now, though, convicted killer Gabriel Klein will serve at least 16 years behind bars for the 2016 murder of 13-year-old Letitia Reimer. Klein was convicted of second-degree murder and aggravated assault for the random attack on Reimer and her 14-year-old friend inside their Abbotsford High School. Grace Key has the details. Gabrielle Klein has been sentenced to life behind bars with no chance for parole for 16 years for the second-degree murder of 13-year-old Letitia Reimer. Crown asked for 18 years of parole ineligibility, defense 12. He was also sentenced to seven years to run concurrently for the aggravated assault of Letitia's 14-year-old friend who is not being identified due to a publication ban. Letitia's mother released a statement through a spokesperson. No amount of jail time will bring back my daughter Letitia but I'm grateful that the court arrived at this decision today. This was a long, heavy journey that was made more difficult by a process that was tilted to the whims of the criminal and yet the love of family, friends, and complete strangers helped lighten our load. Klein walked into Abbotsford Senior Secondary back in 2016 and randomly stabbed both girls, believing they were monsters. Months later, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. The judge rejected his bid to be declared not criminally responsible because of a mental disorder. As aggravating circumstances for sentencing, the judge noted there were two victims. Both were children. The effects were profound. Klein used a large hunting knife that he carefully chose and that the attack was at a school, a place society counts as a safe haven. As mitigating circumstances, the judge noted Klein's relatively young age, who was 21 years old at the time, and his Métis heritage. Klein chose not to speak in court. Because he was terrified that he'd say something wrong. So he read all 46 victim impact statements, and he said, Martin, what I did that day was evil and horrible. And when I read the victim impact statements, I cried. Letitia's mother added, if any good can come out of this, then let it be that we are improving our community, assisting others, and working to ensure similar tragedies never happen again. Grace Key, Global News. Homicide investigators are asking for witnesses to a fatal fight at a Surrey mall. IHIT says Andrew Doucette was injured after getting into an altercation with another man on June 7th in a rotunda at Central City Mall. Doucette was rushed to hospital but died of his injuries days later. Surveillance footage shows some people were in the area before and after the incident took place at around 8.30 in the morning. IHIT is hoping to speak with those people who may have witnessed the altercation. The parents of a man who went missing in Manning Park more than eight months ago say his remains have now been found. 25-year-old Jordan Natterer hadn't been seen since leaving for a hike in the park last October. Following his disappearance, a major search was launched, fanning out from the spot where his vehicle was recovered at a trailhead. But that search was unsuccessful. Then on Tuesday, items believed to be Natterer's were found in a remote area and speaking from their home in Newfoundland, his parents confirmed they've been contacted and told their son's remains have been found. 
Still ahead, a big win for a BC First Nation. The province has that duty to consult and they must respect the treaty. The landmark BC Supreme Court decision that could transform resource development in this province. And you won't believe what they found slithering around downtown Victoria. A recent B.C. Supreme Court ruling could have a major impact on Site C and other industrial development projects in this province. A judge deciding the NDP government can no longer authorize projects that violate promises to First Nations under Treaty 8. Ted Chernecki explains. There's much more to the land around Fort St. John than vast reserves of natural gas. It's also smack dab in the middle of the traditional territory of the Blueberry River First Nation. 122 years ago, it was one of the few indigenous groups to actually sign a treaty in B.C. that was supposed to guarantee certain rights. The fundamental promise that was made to them, which was that while there would be settlement up in the area, it would never be so extensive that their way of life would be fundamentally impaired. The court said they were right that essentially the development had gone too far. This animation was created to show how industrialization pre-1950 was all but non-existent. Then it tracks logging and oil and gas operations every year afterwards. You can see activity really starts to ramp up after the OPEC energy crisis back in the 1970s to the point there's precious little territory left in its natural state for First Nations to hunt, trap and fish. The Supreme Court ruled that those were inherent rights the treaty was supposed to protect and didn't. So I think that the province is going to have to come to the table, understand that the treaty has been here for 122 years, understand that the community has felt that it is not being consulted in an appropriate and adequate fashion, and figure out how we move forward from there. BC Supreme Court Justice Emily Burke notes that Blueberry River First Nation land now has more than 110,000 linear kilometers of roads, pipelines, and transmission lines running through an area that's just 40,000 square kilometers. 73% of traditional territory is within 250 meters of an industrial disturbance. What a precedent-setting judgment it is. It's the first one uh, to deal with cumulative impacts, uh, first one to deal with breach of treaty in Canada uh, for, for a claim like this. The treaty, in effect, also includes B.C.'s $16 billion Site C hydroelectric dam, where several permits still need to be approved to complete the project. The courts have ordered a stop to all future permits on treaty land, but has given the province six months before enforcing that order. Tomorrow, members of the Blueberry River First Nation will travel to Vancouver for a celebration outside B.C. Supreme Court. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Another warning about coyotes in Stanley Park after three more people were attacked this morning. The Conservation Officer Service says a man was doing yoga at Prospect Point when a coyote bit him on the arm. That man then chased the animal and the coyote attacked a runner on a road nearby. A woman who tried to help the runner was also bitten on the arm and leg. All three people were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Visitors to O'Keefe Ranch this summer will have the opportunity to learn more about residential schools. The historic site is hosting an exhibit called Where Are the Children? Curated by the Legacy of Hope Foundation, a national indigenous charity. This genocide is part of our history. It's something that we need to really hold a magnifying glass to. It's not easy. It's not light work, but it's something that we are all responsible for. Um, as Justice Marie Sinclair said, it's not an Aboriginal or Indigenous issue. It's all of our responsibility to participate in reconciliation. 
The lead teacher for Aboriginal education at the Vernon School District applied for a grant to bring the traveling exhibit to the Okanagan. She hopes it helps people have a deeper understanding of residential schools and opens up conversations about reconciliation. They'll see lots of primary source documents, images, um, a lot of text, but looking at all aspects of reconciliation in residential schools, not just the trauma, but also the resistance and the resilience of Indigenous people. The exhibit will be at the O'Keefe Ranch till early September, and then it will tour several North Okanagan high schools for students to visit. The Okanagan's only Birds of Prey Rehabilitation Center says it rescued 40 raptors in 48 hours during the height of last week's heat wave. Global Shelby Tom has more on the scramble to save the birds, including some unusual measures taken. You have to hand feed them at this point. These osprey chicks are being fed fish along with saline water at the Sorco Raptor Rehab Center, and they're lucky to be alive. It's very hard to see them in the condition that they're in. Come on. Their poor condition due to last week's historic and unprecedented heat wave that scorched the Okanagan with 40-plus temperatures. It was a serious impact on them. It's all baby birds that we got uh, that couldn't handle the heat, and the parents were having trouble keeping up feeding them. The Okanagan's only birds of prey rehabilitation center rescuing 40 birds in just 48 hours. Unfortunately, some birds did not survive the extreme heat, dying of heat exhaustion, dehydration and starvation. We've never seen anything like this in our 33 years of operating. At greatest threat, baby ospreys living high up on nesting platforms near Fortis BC power lines. The company taking the rare step of intervening to save some of the baby birds in distress. We were able to uh, to get up in our bucket trucks. Um, it's it, I just really wanted to emphasize this. It's very unusual for us to be able to do that. Meanwhile, Sorco is scrambling to care for the influx of birds. The Oliver-based nonprofit says any monetary donations would help cover food costs. The good news is that all rescued birds are expected to make a full recovery. They will all be released back to the wild. Shelby Tom, Global News. Victoria police are asking for the owners of a large snake to please come and get their reptile after it was found on the patio of an apartment building. Victoria PD say it was called uh, they were called to a building in the 700 block of Vancouver Street Tuesday evening when a four foot long snake was discovered on a ground floor patio. Officers and a person who lives in the unit used a golf club and a broomstick to corral the snake before placing it in a large cardboard box. The snake is now in animal control services where it will where it will wait for its owner to take it home. We are hoping to figure out the circumstances around this incident. Why is there a four-foot uh, boa constrictor or, or uh, otherwise uh, in our downtown core? Why is it out on the loose when it could possibly pose a risk to the public or certainly to the public's pets? They do some weird things in police, don't they? <laughs> Coming up on the lookout for the Lambda variant, where it originated and why they're worried about it getting a foothold here in Canada. Also tonight, Donald Trump's war on social media and his deliberate decision to file his lawsuit in Florida. Good evening.
counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Two lanes in both directions and traffic is moving well both ways. There is overnight maintenance that has you down to one lane between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $14 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Still fuming over his ban from social media, former U.S. President Donald Trump is suing Facebook and Twitter, the same platforms that blocked him in the wake of the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building. As Reggie Cicchini tells us, the lawsuit will fire up Trump's base, but could be an uphill climb in the courts. That lawsuit filed in a Florida court alleges a violation of free speech with claims that right-leaning views are being censored by big tech. Our case will prove this censorship is unlawful, it's unconstitutional, and it's completely un-American. What they're doing is incredible and incredibly dangerous. The class action suits serve to not only restore the former president's accounts, but also seek punitive damages that Donald Trump alleges could reach into the trillions of dollars. It also escalates the ongoing feud with sites that aided in Trump's political uprising by acting as megaphones for his rhetoric and baseless claims of election fraud, which led to a deadly riot and bans, both permanent by Twitter and temporary with Facebook. Trump, his base, and many Republicans panned that move when it took place earlier this year, even though legal experts say that these are private companies. And while they're protected by a federal statute that clears them of any liability from third-party content, they're free to moderate what's posted as long as it's in so-called good faith. That is something that Donald Trump alleges only happens with right-leaning posts, but has never brought any kind of evidence forward. Now, filing in Florida is strategic. The governor recently signed a bill aiming to punish social media sites if state officials think that they're acting unfairly. That was immediately criticized for giving government too much control, and it will likely face a court challenge. But this lawsuit is also multi-pronged. It works to keep Trump in the news as Joe Biden's popularity holds steady around 60 percent, especially with his handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. But this also helps to gin up Trump's base while prompting more loyalty tests from within the Republican Party. The open question is, if this case advances, does Donald Trump, who's the lead plaintiff, have to testify? It's a move that could implicate himself in the Capitol riots, to which the social media ban stem from. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters tonight, cases of a new COVID-19 variant called Lambda, first documented in Peru, have now been detected in Canada. And while the World Health Organization says it's not yet a variant of concern, experts are worried about its potential to be more transmissible or worse, vaccine-resistant. Global News' Jamie Marocker has more. Yeah. As Canada's COVID-19 numbers continue on a downward slope, a new variant, C-37 or Lambda, has reared its head with 11 confirmed cases in our country. What has brought attention to this particular variant is the way it's starting to potentially outcompete the other variants in South America. First detected in Peru in late 2020, it now makes up more than 80% of its cases and has spread to more than two dozen countries. Being highly transmissible does not necessarily mean it causes more severe disease. That's still being looked at. The World Health Organization says there's no indications Lambda is more deadly, but experts worry what this variant of interest means for current COVID-19 vaccines. The head of Ontario's COVID-19 science advisory table points to this small study, which has not yet been peer-reviewed. 
it has a few rather interesting mutations that could it, it could make it actually fit, you know, for, again, escaping vaccines partially. It's why he says getting fully vaccinated with two doses is so important. And as mutations start to take over, as the Delta variant has in India and the UK, experts say vaccination has to happen worldwide. Our way out of this is let's get vaccines out to people. Our chance to disrupt COVID's evolution and spread. Jamie Rocker, Global News, Toronto. Still ahead, a young artist and his creepy creations. I'm probably going to have nightmares. We all will. How his pandemic projects blew up on social media. And what this winner plans to do with the massive jackpot he just split. Little thing. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Uh, A bit of a reprieve from the heat we've had of the last few days, Yvonne, but um, some concerning weather as we talked about off the top of the show tonight. Yeah, for the southern interior, we still do have severe thunderstorm watches. The severe thunderstorm warning has just ended, and I'll show you that in just a moment. A quick glance outside, we've had a bit more cloud cover through the day today, but temperatures still managed to warm up with the humid exit 27 or 28. We do have a bit of a breeze off the water southeasterly and sitting at 28 kilometers per hour. So the severe thunderstorm warning has ended, and that's for the South Thompsons that we're still seeing the severe thunderstorm watch that extends in towards the southeastern corners. We could see that hail. The potential is there for very gusty winds near the thunderstorms up to 70 kilometers per hour. And we will be looking at lightning, a big concern over the next few days when we see all this instability throughout the southern interior with the hot and dry conditions. Smoky skies bulletin still extending in across the central interior, the caribou and Chicolton included within that. If you do have respiratory issues, you're advised to spend a limited amount of time outdoors if possible. Fire danger rating has ramped up. We are now seeing a few spots across the central half of the province extending into extreme and much of the province at high. So please be very diligent and report those campfire, uh, any fires immediately to star 5555. The concern as we look ahead towards tomorrow afternoon, areas near or just south of Williams Lake will see that potential, the risk of thunderstorms that will likely clip in towards the Columbia and Kootenai. So another active day that we'll be tracking uh, through the southern half of the province. Now the northern half could even see a bit of drizzle for the morning hours. It's inland, hot and sunny. Central and Syria are still getting into the low 30s. The southern half of the province is where we'll see that instability, hot with the risk of thunderstorms and lightning, a big threat and concern. We could even see some drizzle across the island for the south coast. Metro Vancouver will also see that. It heats up once again, leading in towards the weekend. Temperatures on Saturday away from the water up to 28. Tonight's weather window, a gorgeous shot. This one was taken in Moon Beach by Sue. Guys? Moon Beach at sunset, it looks like. Mm. Thanks, Yvonne. Gorgeous shot. Okay, let's uh, take a look at this now. A Kamloops man says his life is going to change after becoming BC's largest jackpot winner so far this year. Gary Hill is splitting the $70 million prize with an Ontario resident after matching all seven numbers from the June 22nd Lotto Max draw. That's his happy dance. He scooped up $35 million. The retired long-haul trucker bought his ticket at a tobacco shop in Kamloops. The happy dance keeps going. (laughs) He says uh, his mom told him that a player in the city won the jackpot. And when he found out he was the one with the winning numbers, he cried tears of joy for 15 minutes. Well, of course, I'm going to travel, you know, maybe buy a place. But I'm one I'm I like to uh, I like to be out and about. I don't like being trapped in a home and sure you got a nice home, but then you're stuck there. I like just I like going. I like being out and about. So the home might come down the road. 
Hill says he will give some of his prize to his family, and he also plans to make a donation to his local hospital. Maybe he should give some of it back to BCLC for <laughs> lessons on how to frame a media <laughs> conference. That was a little weird, let's be honest. He's got the happy dance down, though. <laughs> he sure does. Uh, okay, let's bring in Squire now with a look ahead to sports. Squire? Okay, Dennis Shapovalov needed five sets to win today, and his fifth set plan was rather simple. Literally play every single point as hard as you can today on the, in the fifth set. It worked, and Shapovalov has reached the semifinals at Wimbledon, his first ever Grand Slam Final Four. All right, also tonight's stuffies that are the stuff of nightmares and the young artist who created them. Later. Well, Sonia Deol, I know you, you spoke with her earlier today, Squire. Never seen her so happy, so excited, and that's saying something. Yes, jolly old is very jolly tonight. No doubt. Um, in fact, many historical things happen on grass grown in London, England today. And we'll start with Canadian history as Denis Shapovalov advanced to the Wimbledon semifinals where he will have to face number one seed Novak Djokovic on Friday. The only sad part today, Felix Auger Aliassim, who was also in the quarterfinals, lost his match. But... We do have at least one of our guys who is still going. Shapovalov is taking on Karin Kachanov. And in the first set, Shapovalov was best. He won this set. But in the second set, Kachanov makes a nice shot here. That's on the, well, that's just inside the line. So he won the second set, and then he won the third set. So... Denis Shapovalov had to come from behind to win this. Now, maybe in the past, that might have worn him down mentally. Not now. This is a great rally. Yes. We're in the fourth set. Oh, a tweener. Tweener. But it didn't work. Kachanov eventually gets caught up in the net. And to end the fourth set, the ace. So now to the fifth set, another rally that Shapovalov prevails in. That's in. So is that. And that is too hard to hit back. And this is the match right here. Number 10 seed, and he's still going. And when he won, he just hit the deck. So Shapovalov and Djokovic on Friday. Okay. More grass in London, England. This time at Wembley Stadium. England-Denmark. I, I Euro semi-finals. Winner plays Italy on Sunday. Mikkel Damsgaard, great free kick. And this gives Denmark a 1-0 lead in the 30th minute. But then, as the Danish fans go crazy, Denmark scores on itself. And maybe this was a sign that things were going to go well for England. England has not reached a final at a major tournament since the 1966 World Cup. The last time they were this far, the Beatles were one week away from releasing Revolver. How's that? This is controversial. Was that really a penalty? The Danes don't think so. The English are like, oh, we'll take it. 
And then Harry Kane steps up. This is an extra time. Stopped, but he gets his own rebound. And that proves to be the winner. So they will play at home. There's the Prince on Sunday against Italy. The Whitecaps are playing tonight. In fact, they're going to play in about 15 minutes against Real Salt Lake. And the game will be on AM 730. We already know the Whitecaps are not happy that they will be without striker Lucas Cavallini and their number one goalkeeper Max Crapo for the rest of this month because they're playing for Canada at the Gold Cup. But the Whitecaps have to deal with these losses, in players that is, starting tonight. This is where a guy like Brian and Teal Bear are going to have a huge opportunity to replace a player that was in a good form for us. Uh, Evan and uh, Thomas are going to have a, a great opportunity to replace Max that has been very steady for us. And then that's their opportunity to answer that they deserve also to play in this team. And that's how you manage it uh, as a coach. Three down football and the Rouge have been saved. The CFL and the XFL have given up on any ideas of working together or merging into one league. They talked for a while, and the feeling was they might become one, but that's not going to happen. The CFL restarts in the month. The XFL says it won't restart until 2023, and a lot of CFL fans are glad this possibility did not come to pass. The last time a home team got to hoist the Stanley Cup was 2015, so Tampa Bay could tonight if they win against Montreal. The only goal in this game so far, Ross Colton right here. And late in the second period, the Lightning have a 1-0 lead. Diana Matheson is not going to the Olympics this year. She retired today at the age of 37 after spending 15 years on our national team. She won two Olympic bronze medalists. It was a foot injury, well, actually a series of foot injuries that ended her career. But despite that, she doesn't leave unhappy. There's no bitterness. Um, I think it was, it was definitely a tough Two years. And really, if you look back at the last five years of my career, it was I was almost rehabbing more than I was playing. So, I mean, obviously, for any athlete, that's not why you're doing it. You're not you're not playing the sport you love just to be on the sideline rehabbing. And in one of those bronze medal wins, it was her who scored the goal. There you go. All right. Great Good career. career. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a pandemic hobby that Wes Craven would be proud of. Taking up a hands-on hobby is something a lot of us have been doing during the pandemic. And as Global's Gil Tucker shows us, it's really paying off for a young Calgarian with a talent for creepy crafting. Check him out. They look fluffy. Well, yeah, maybe at first glance. <laughs> but take a closer look. Mutant version of Elmo. And it's clear these are no ordinary stuffies. They're very creepy. And that's exactly what the guy who makes them is after. The best part of it is just seeing the reactions from everyone. Touch his teeth. Wait, are these real teeth? No. (laughs) A horror fan since he was their age, Callum started making these about six months ago. Transforming standard stuffies into creepy creatures. I just let my hands do the work. So it's always a surprise for myself to see what they turn out to be. This 17-year-old started posting pictures. And it blew up on Facebook. Selling more than 200 of them across Canada and beyond. I have stuffies in the States. I have stuffies in England, Sweden, 
Uh, I have one in Italy. A pandemic project that's really paying off. During COVID, you don't really get to get out and see new things. So it's something new. Put a smile on your kid's face or a gag gift. He gave me a bunny for my birthday. My grandma has always been a huge inspiration. and We do crafts with her when we were kids. Mine was always ended up looking different and she always encouraged it. I'm really happy to see him into something like this. Everybody needs an interest and boy, he's got this good. He's got plenty more on the way. I have pigs, I have chameleons. Chickens. <laughs> Who knows what he'll come up with? Looks like Voldemort with a nose. I'm probably going to have nightmares. No nightmares. Gil Tucker, Global News. I mean, I think it's kind of cute. But say, I'm going to have nightmares tonight. <laughs> say someone you knew had a baby. Right. Would you buy it for them as a gift? Maybe not for our newest mum and dad <laughs> on the global team. Before we leave you tonight, our global BC family has expanded once again. A big congratulations to reporter Sarah McDonald and cameraman Clayton Little. Oh, proud new parents to Hart Elizabeth McDonald Little. Welcomed into the world on Monday at seven pounds, eight ounces. Now she has a thing or two to learn about deadlines, which are very important in our business. She took her time arriving, finally making her debut fashionably late. But everyone's happy and healthy. And we wish Clayton and Sarah and the whole family yeah. the very best. Little heart. Aw. Has our hearts. She sure does already. <laughs> uh, her parents are good with deadlines, by the way. Okay, yeah. final word on the weather before we go. Uh, we could see some cloud for a few spots across the south coast. It warms up once again and then heating up for the weekend. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. And thank you for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.